Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. This is episode number 301, and it is our second best of show. Looking back on the past 100 episodes, really appreciate all the input that people gave about their favorite moments. And um, I admit it's a little bit of a vanity project. I want to rehear some of my favorite moments. And oh my gosh, it was so much fun going back and listening to the episodes over again to uh, be like, oh, that's the best moment. No, 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 that's the best moment. No, that's the best moment. So um, a little bit like, uh, you know, saying which one of your kids is your favorite. The, you, you love them all for different reasons. So we're going to kick this show off with um, one of the biggest um, stars that we had in the past 100 episodes, and it is episode number 256, Conversation with Running Icon Catherine Switzer. Um, so... This is um, KV, as she's often called, um, and how she was registered when she signed up for the uh, 1967 Boston Marathon. Um, This is her talking about feeling the love and gratitude and how much pressure she felt to finish the 1967 Boston Marathon, where she was the only registered woman in the race. So here you go. So, Catherine, my question to you, do you feel the love and gratitude even today when it seems like women runners are, you know, dominating events, particularly here in the U.S. that we were previously, you know, barred from? I, I do. I do feel the love and gratitude. But um, I'll tell you the truth. You, you also feel the pressure of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are all these people who you, know, you feel are counting on you um, as well as them loving you. And you don't want to let them down in any way. And so, for instance, when you're starting a new nonprofit you really, or any business or writing a book, you, you really, you just can't just sit back and relax. You really, and wing it. You, you need to consider them and, um, and want to do the best you can for them. Maybe mm-hmm. that's just my overburdened Protestant <laughs> ethnic background, <laughs> growing up, always being pounded on to do right and keep your nose clean and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and and certainly, I feel enormous pressure about this Boston Marathon, um, mm-hmm. and and I and I feel you know sometimes I don't have enough latitude. For instance, anybody can get sick or, or get hurt right before a race mm-hmm. and not be able to finish or run or even start. But I feel like I don't have that choice. And mm-hmm. you know what's really interesting is in '67 after Jock Semple attacked me in the race. I turned to my coach and I said, I have to finish this race no matter what, even if I have to finish it on my hands and knees, because if I don't finish it, nobody's going to believe that women can do it and should be allowed to do it. And so I felt that no matter what happened, I had to finish. Well, fortunately, things all went fine and there wasn't any problem and I just uh, finished the race and and it was great. Um, But there was that pressure. Of constantly, you know, every time I saw a cop out on the course that day, I'll never forget. I thought he was going to arrest me or pull me off the oh, course. Wow. So, you know, I guess from age 20, I've had that kind of sense of responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly what I, I'm going to try to do, and I'll, I'd love your all of my loving fans out there to salute me with this. After we get through Boston, for better or worse, I really want to kick back and have fun with running for once. And, <laughs> and for instance, the woman who wrote about New York, um, mm-hmm. you know, 
I, I won the New York City Marathon, but it was in 1974, and it was before the race was in the streets. So this year, if I'm if I can uh, if I'm not injured and I'm well and everything, I plan on running New York for the first time through the streets of New York. And wow. I decided since I'm training so hard for Boston, I, I might as well keep on a roll and, and, and keep in shape for it. So maybe I will see her out there on the course, and that would be great fun. And we're just going to keep the celebrities rolling here. This is episode 260, Melissa Clark of New York Times talking running and cooking. And Melissa Clark is one of my idols of a one of my other passions other than running, which is cooking. And um, this is Melissa talking about how to get over dreading dinner and claim it as me time, like running. People forget because we're pulled in so many directions Mm -hmm. and we feel like, oh my gosh, we have to be doing, you know, the same, it's the same exact thing with going for a run. I should be working. I should Mm -hmm. be, you know, calling my mother. I should be answering (laughs) my emails. (laughs) And you forget, but, but, I think, and I think cooking and running, I mean, for me, I I embody it because these are the two things. These are my two, these are my me time. They're my enjoyment. And I claim that running time. I'm like, I am going to run because I need it for me. It's the same thing with cooking Mm -hmm. with the added bonus of it also feeds the other people in my house. But cooking, if you, you just have to get it, you have to remind yourself. I mean, and it's true. It's just a daily reminder. I like this. Remember, this is, this can be therapy. This, Mm -hmm. I always say, make your dinner preparation time the best time of your day, you know, Mm -hmm. make it either bring the people you love into the kitchen with you so that you can talk to them, you can listen to music together, you can help your kids with their homework. Um, You know, sometimes my husband will read to me, he'll read me the newspaper. Or if you're or get everybody out of the kitchen and take the time as your serenity time and like be in your moment with yourself and have a moment of calm before dinner, like whatever works for you, but just give yourself permission to make it about you. Yeah. I got to say that I'm glad right. to hear you give the the opposite of that because I forget, um, I forget what show I heard you on, but you were talking about the, you know, how much you enjoy the time with your family when you're cooking. And I'm like, oh, I'm such a mean mom. Cause all I think is, could you just leave me alone? I just want to listen to this <laughs> podcast. I just want to listen to NPR for a little while and not pause it 20 times. And, exactly. Yeah, yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We have a uh, really long, narrow kitchen. So if anybody's in there with you, you're just always playing this little dance, trying to get out of each other's way. So I'm very much a, please leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> and that's you're not feeling like your kitchen tonight. Please. Your, your kitchen is suited for you. That's good. Yes. Um, yeah, no, we have a big open kitchen, so it's easy for, you know, for all of us to be in there at the same time. Yeah. And you also have one child so that there's not that bickering thing that that is just so that delightful. That makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a big difference. So, you know, her big thing is she wants, she actually would like us to go away so that she can just sit and read, <laughs> and read her book. And, you know, we just insist on talking to her. We're so annoying. But, uh, but you know, she's, um, she at age eight is a burgeoning runner. That little kid oh, is fast. Good. So nice. Yeah, she, she runs circles around me. Literally, and loves it. So, and this is from episode 227 Run Fast, Eat Slow, a chat with cookbook author Elise Kopecki. And Elise, as you know, uh, co authored that cookbook with none other than New York City Marathon 2017 winner Shalane Flanagan. And this is Elise uh, describing the symptoms of hangry and how runners can combat this all consuming sensation. Um, so hangry is a really common, um, just 
you come back from a run and you need and you're so hungry and you don't want to have a conversation with anyone like <laughs> you're just focused on getting to the fridge as super possible as quick as possible it's super common i experienced it as a new mom when i was nursing oh I, god yes <laughs> <laughs> um in there yeah <laughs> even though it was more than a decade ago for me and, yeah. you know, oh, gosh. Three, three for, for you me. yeah and it's like yeah. oh yeah oh, we I remember that feeling remember. <laughs> yeah you're just you're so depleted your body needs um to recharge so eating foods that are really uh nutrient dense and calorie dense and have a perfect balance of fats and carbs and protein and real food provides that naturally without having to read the label on a package. So um, we, a lot of runners suffer from burnout or low energy or just feeling mood swings and mood swings are often related to not having enough fats and fat in your diet. Which reminds me earlier, you had mentioned the um, athletic amenorrhea that she suffered in high school and college, uh, but you were able to combat it by adding more uh, fat to your diet. So tell us a little bit about this condition and why is it so often an issue for female runners? So athletic amenorrhea is when um, you don't get your period and it's really common in runners. I think of um, runners running at the competitive level, it's like 70% of women suffer from it, young young women women athletes. And um, I read like 40, they're estimating 40% of women in general who are runners. And when you're training your body um, to keep your hormones in balance, like fat, you need that fuel, um, and fat is so important for that. Okay, okay, one more celeb. Bear with me. This time it's a man. This is episode 265, a chat with Peter Sagal of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Um, it's our tradition here at Another Mother Runner to have a man, a f- kind of famous man, on the um, Father's Day episode. And so this is um, Peter's description of being 100 yards away from the bomb blasts at the finish line of the 2013 Boston Marathon and the pocket of innocence he was in. Well, yeah. I mean, what's really weird about it is that we, by myself, I mean, by we, I mean myself, William Greer, the guy I was guiding, and everybody else around us, actually knew less about what had just happened than anybody else on the planet. And by that, I mean... We didn't have our phones. We just run a marathon. We didn't run with our phones. They were making no announcements mm. at the site of what had happened. And even though we were very close to it, we couldn't really see it because, uh, it, I mean, I don't know if you've been to the Boston Marathon finish line, but any major marathon finishing line will conjure the image. The finishing line itself is a big superstructure, and it's surrounded by steel and, and trellises and, and scaffolding and signage and, and you know camera platforms. And so all of that stuff was between us and the bomb site. Mm-hmm. We didn't see it, although we obviously could hear it. It was quite close. We had no other way of getting information, and we were told to move away as quickly as possible. So, you know, whatever instinct I might have had to go see what the hell that was, because I had never experienced anything like that before, was sort of overwhelmed by my responsibility to take care of this blind guy who I just run a marathon with. So for the next 10, 15 minutes, while the world looked on with horror at the first images, um, we were just, uh, you know, doing what you do after a marathon, which is like picking up bananas and getting a medal around our heads and, and mm. stuff like that. It was sort of this bizarre little pocket of innocence mm. while the rest of the world was going, oh, my God, this is horrible. Mm. It wasn't until we got out of the chute and we saw the chaos sort of around us that we realized something really terrible about it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Did it seem particularly frightening because you're with someone who couldn't see who, no matter what well, their vantage I mean, point was? Again, I, I, one of the one of the things I'm very very careful to do whenever I talk about this is is ever imply that in any way I had a problem that matched or even approached the problems being experienced by a whole lot of other people that day in that mm-hmm. place. So, for mm-hmm. example, yeah, I had a blind guy and I had to get him out of the chute to his to our meeting place so we could meet his wife and get his stuff back. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. Even, put aside the, the actual victims, the people who were dealing with, with life-threatening injuries not 100 yards away. There were about, among the, I don't know how many people, probably more than 1,000 runners who weren't allowed to finish the race. Remember, mm-hmm. they blocked yeah, it off yeah. a mile short of the finish line. Told everybody they had to stop and get off the course. Among those people were about 20 or more blind runners mm-hmm. who were with Team of the Vision. Mm-hmm. They were out there. They didn't have phones. We had no idea, or rather, the Josh Warren, the organizer, had no idea where they were, mm-hmm. uh, and their guides had no idea where to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only meeting place that we had was right off the finish line. That whole area was being cut off. So presumably, you know. So there. I mean, suffice to say, we had it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the reasons, of course, we had it easy was because, and I've written about this with great admiration. William Greer, even though he was having a really hard day in the course, having to stop a lot, having a lot of cramps, uh, muscular and otherwise, he really gutted out the last mile mm-hmm. at my urging. Because I was like, man, you can't walk through the last mile of the Boston Marathon. you got to run that. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. the Amateur Olympics. You can't walk down below the street. Mm-hmm. So we did it. He really gutted it out. And by virtue of the fact that he ran that, giving wow. his you know, last measure of devotion, uh, we were safely beyond the bombing site when it went off. Wow. If he hadn't run, if he had walked like he really wanted to do, who knows where it would have been. We would have been among the many runners uh, cut off on the course, or maybe we would have been a lot closer to the bombing, and it would have had a much, much, much more uh, visceral mm-hmm. and visual experience of that whole incident than I ended up having. So I owe a lot to his courage. Even though he didn't know that he was saving us, he kind of did. Wow, wow. Now we're going to go almost all the way back to the start of the last 100 episodes. This is from episode 208, and this is the 2016 Boston Marathon Report and Training with a Friend. And um, this is me recounting the section of the Boston Marathon, and my coach, Brianna Bamer, was um, one of the guests on the show, and it is her wonderful advice about positivity and confidence. Um, I, I I was in the... Um Yes. Cave of disc- of extreme discomfort, probably starting at mile um, six or <gasps> seven or eight. Really? Because of the heat. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And oh. um, and I then that's then by about mile twelve, I thought, okay, you know what what positive what 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 um good feeling, you know, what, what can I do to instill confidence in me and, and a positivity in me? And so I thought I am going to charge those hills. Mm. I'm just going to charge those hills. You didn't worry about pooping out? Um, getting tired or, yeah. or crapping myself? Getting tired, <laughs> getting not, tired. not crapping yeah. yourself. <laughs> Losing, you know, your energy. Um, no, I just feel like, um, I mean, you did better than I did on hill repeats, but I feel I am a strong hill runner. And Bree had reminded me of that from the, our half marathon yeah, you that are. we did. Mm-hmm. And um, I remembered from Boston 2012 in the heat that I passed a boatload of people on those hills. Mm-hmm. And so I just literally leaned into the hills and ran up them. That's strong. courageous. Yeah. Especially oh, feeling oh, bad going oh, into it. You oh, could have thanks. pulled back. Oh, thanks. But she's not like that, is she, Bree? You've noticed that from her, her data, huh? Yeah. yeah. Mean, you meaning like she's a good hill runner? 
Well, she just she doesn't back away from the pain. No, I mean, you know, and, and particularly what's always great about Sarah is she's got a positive attitude about when she has something hard that she has to do. Tell me um, about it. She just kind of embraces <laughs> it and like, I'm just going to do it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's a great attitude to have because often we we set ourselves up obviously for failure when we decide that it's not possible. But even just the sense the sense of a doubt of something can really change how something feels, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you have a confidence about it, it's going to feel a lot different than if you have this uh, trepidation about it. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's hard not to have trepidation when oh, you have well, trepidation. The more you do it though, I think what's great about training. And I mean, you guys can probably both speak to this is that what's great about training is that it should instill confidence that you've done it before. So when you yeah. reach a tough, tough patch, a, a hill, you can you can reach back in your memory to a run where you've done the same thing and you got through it. And there's at least some confidence that it's not like you can't do it. You know, I think the first time you do anything, there is a, a trepidation, you know, someone who runs their first marathon and they've never actually run 26 miles. They've maybe run 20 or 21. There's that fear of, can I actually run 26? I've never done that. But once you've done it, there's gotta be a confidence inside you that you've been through that before. And you have to use that. I mean, it's such an important thing to draw upon training I mean, training. I'm a broken record when I say this, race day is just a glorified training day. You know, you do what you've always done. You just happen to have a bunch of people cheering for you and a finish clock at the end. You know, I mean, that's the only difference, right? You know, it's still training. It's what you do every day. So you just Mm -hmm. have to remember that. Going forward, just a couple episodes. This one comes from number 214 and is Tales from Back of the Pack Runners. Another kind of um, party, if you will, of a variety of mother runners. And this is um, Kelly Keating Caraway um, telling tales about being slow at the back of the pack. And um, she just uh, she's just full of great one liners summing up a healthy race attitude. Here you go. So, Kelly, we know you recently ran a race with your pal, Marianne, who um, people might remember Marianne as one of the two women who did um, shared their journey toward their first marathon with us last fall on our website, anothermotherrunner.com. And um, and you gals had a race vehicle on your tail from the sounds of it. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> on our tail. Yeah, on our tail is kind of an understatement. And that wasn't even um, the first person that had quote unquote checked up on us. So, oh. um, I had run with Marianne. She ran with me when I ran the New York city half and I actually PR that race by about a minute. So I was like, Oh, Marianne, you're my good mm. luck charm. This was great. This was so much fun. And then, um, she said, well, let's do it again. You know, we can be, um, half fanatics or something. Let's sign up for this race. And I thought, Oh, I don't know. And as someone who's always a back of the pack runner, I often look to see what are the finishing times for people who have Mm -hmm. run it in years past to Mm kind of see where I might fall in that pack. And they were 10 to 12 minutes ahead of my best time. And I thought, I don't know if we can do this, this. And she's like, we'll be fine. Let's just do it. We'll have a great time. And so, and it was a double loop kind of through neighborhoods. And so the good thing was we didn't see a lot of the people who were ahead of us. The bad thing is that's because they were so far ahead of us. We hadn't gotten to the loop by the time they had already passed the loop. So oh my goodness. Um, at one point, um, you're at about mile 12. You're also turning off to, I think, mile seven. We were turning to mile seven and volunteers are like, where are you going? What are you doing? Oh. We're like, oh 
yeah, we're not done yet. Like, this is where we're supposed to be. So shortly after that, somebody on a bike came by and was like, are you sure you guys okay? We Uh got word that somebody might not be okay. And we're like, nope, we're just really getting our money's worth here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the bike was with us for probably about a mile-ish or so. And then I guess they got the hint that we weren't going anywhere. And then shortly after that, that's where the uh, police car then escorted us for probably another mile and a half or so. And I don't know, it was a couple hundred feet behind my rear end. So yeah, on my tail (laughs) is a pretty good description of where he was. (laughs) Because you truly run from the police. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was running from the law, literally, yes. Which is interesting because my father is a police officer, so right. it'll make a great story. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh my goodness! And because because I just sorry to interrupt you, Christine, no, but ahead. but Marianne said that like you kind of got the stink eye when one of you had to stop to go use the porta potty or something like that. Yes, I don't know. yes. And I will throw her right under the bus. That oh. was totally Marianne that had to go to the bathroom. So and it wasn't even like a race porta potty. Somebody must be redoing their bathroom, and it was a porta potty on in someone's driveway. Nice. So very I, nice. Well, you know, we have plenty of time. Um, why don't you just stop? So she like waved to the cop and I was like, sorry. <laughs> and he oh just gosh. sat there looking at us like, okay, so they're really even stopping to take porta potty breaks knowing that they are <laughs> and you, you know significantly and did you yell out, you're getting double overtime, be patient. <laughs> I didn't to him, but I did say to Marianne when she came back, look, I don't feel sorry. Do you have any idea how much money that guy made to wait for yeah. you to come out of the bathroom? Oh, like, exactly. we're fine. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my so, so when you're out there and you're in the back of the pack, do you feel like you experience the race differently? Maybe your enjoyment level is different than it would be if you were up in the front of the pack or even a mid-packer? Um... Sometimes I want to say yes. Like there's been a couple of times um, I run this, my favorite 10 mile race. It's an all women's race um, that they run every October. And I love being in the back of the pack there because you see, I don't know, four or 5,000 women ahead of you. And it's just this wave of female athletes and it's kind of empowering. And I remember last year looking at the woman next to me saying like, see the people in the front don't get to see that. So there are times where I think I appreciate it more Um, There are times when, um, like I just ran um, the Philadelphia Broad Street 10 miler and I was at mile six and I saw someone walking through this little square wearing their medal, which meant they had time to finish and take the train back. Um, (laughs) And I was at mile six. So there are times like that where I think, are you kidding me? This guy had time to like finish and take the train and I just passed the halfway point. So times like that are a little frustrating, but most of the time I think, you know what, I'm just lucky to be out here. I'm fortunate that my body lets me do this and I I can't care about how long it takes. Coming at us from episode number 224, the mental side of running. This was uh, Molly and me talking uh, to Dr. Justin Ross, who is the Denver-based sports psychologist who uh, leads the Perform Like a Mother programs. And it's about Dr. Ross, or J. Rowe, as Dim calls him, um, this is him talking about overcoming fear and finding out what you're made of. Well, when I started running, um, uh, it, you know, I was training for a half marathon when I just first started out. Um, I 
got to, I was and you, you know, you talked about when you did your first five miles and how that was, that felt really hard. When I got to the point where I was doing my first six miles, I was so freaking scared, mm. like jumping into a deep ocean, a full of sharks kind of scared. <laughs> like I, I don't no, really I, I, I laid I wouldn't didn't even want to get out of bed in the morning I wanted to hide under the covers I wanted to hide under the bed that was really my feeling I wanted yeah. to just hide hide from it and I would dread it all week the first time I went out on a six mile run not only did I have like three bottles of water and my phone I, I honestly I felt like calling the police to let them know I, was, <laughs> I did I, I talked myself down from it that I was going out on the six ball run and they just might want to be aware in case something happened <laughs> and then I realized that was ridiculous and, and it went okay but that fear remained uh, I, it, when I got home it was it wasn't like oh great I did it it was more like okay I escaped death now I've got to <laughs> worry about the next time I got to escape death uh -huh. and uh, you know I was in a really really tough mental place and what ultimately happened is that I hurt my knee and I just had to stop running mm. and then I was able to come back to it slower. But have you um, had athletes that have experienced like a deep-seated fear to the endurance sports? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it, it usually, it's usually one of two things. Just like you're saying, it's about distance, right? And it doesn't even matter how far the distance is. It's a fear of being able to, to run that far or swim that far or bike that far, what have you. And the other, the other big mental block is usually about, about pace, right? If people are trying to run really hard, they can have a mental block about running a, a certain pace because it's uncomfortable. It can be really hard to push your limits um, when, you're, when you're running at the, uh, you know, at the full end of your spectrum. And so that's really common for, for all of us. I mean, you know, I remember the first time I ran a marathon um, – I got out of the, the car to the starting line. Um, my wife dropped me off and I said to her, I don't know if I can do this. Um, mm. And that's there for all of us, despite, you know, having this kind of this background and this knowledge. And yet I think that's, that's the good stuff with this, right? Because you tow the line and then you find out what you're made of and you get through it. And by doing it, you grow a little bit stronger and you, you realize that maybe that fear, um, the fear is important. Oh, I like that. So don't shy away from the fear. Embrace the fear. It's important. Yeah. And go forward. Yeah, it's, fear. it's not about being afraid, right? I, I think a lot of people, um, when, they, when they get to the starting line of whatever race, whether it's a 5K or a marathon or an Ironman or whatever, there's fear involved. Um, and that fear is really important. It's not about not being afraid. It's about having the courage to, to push yourself through that and to come out on the other side. And um, I, you know, the finish line of races is one of the greatest places because people are mm -hmm. so excited and they, mm -hmm. they look at themselves from this new perspective of, of belief that, you know, the limits are really self-made and, and, um, they exist more in the mind than they do in the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I, I definitely feel that too. I feel less afraid to try a lot of different things in my life now. I mean, in dumb things like a sewing project, I'm like, well, what's the worst that could happen now? You know? <laughs> I ran that six miles. <laughs> I've got a seam ripper. <laughs> okay, I lied. We have another uh, celebrity, and this is from a recent episode, number 296, and it is beloved Bart Yasso. He talks races in retirement with another new co-host. That was Tish Hamilton. Um, both of them are uh, Runner's World alumni, and this is 
um, all of us talking about slowing down with age and what is an end goal. And the answer might surprise you. At some point I figured it out. And if I, I just tell myself, I want to be in this, I want to be in this sport. And if I want to continue doing it, you know, my, I adjust those goals tremendously. I always get to that start and say, okay, the whole goal is to finish. Don't hurt yourself. Go out and enjoy the day and just get to that finish line. And that's how I ran Bermuda. I was, I wasn't able to run for about 11 weeks and I was able, able to start running the beginning of the year. So I got in a, couple days of running and then thought, oh, my God, how am I going to do this race? But, you know, I just adjusted the goals and went out there and absolutely enjoyed myself and got to the finish line each day and, you know, had fun. Not the well, fastest way you want to do it, but, you know, I got there. Well, as a as a master's age runner myself, I want us to take a side note. I want each of you, Tish, you get – I'm going to ask you a question now. Uh, that uh, How did you each arrive at the point where – your your mind was able to accept that you weren't being able to go as fast as you used to. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, for me, it actually my Lyme disease really set me back, so I I really didn't have a choice. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew eventually I was going to slow down. It's inevitable if you do this stuff for forty years and end up in your sixties. Uh, it's inevitable. I was going to slow down, but I think Lyme disease, uh, you know, which I been affected four times over the last 28 wow. years has really slowed my running down tremendously so i i have more problems with just trying to train a little bit so i can go out and do races so i uh you know i was it it made it a lot easier to 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 the adjustments for me because i can't train hard so i obviously can't race hard so mm-hmm. i just i just literally go out there to be part of the community and and uh, get to that finish line but Tish has kept competitive and kept doing Boston, so hers hers would be a little bit different. Well, everybody has a different story, right? So, Bart, look back to you. Like, um, what was your marathon PR back in the day? I, I ran 240 at Boston. I didn't break two. Well, I would have broken 240 chip time, but it was 240 in a couple seconds uh, back in the 80s. But I think I ran better. You know, I ran 241 when I was like 44 years old. So I, I actually thought I ran better in my 40s than I did in my 20s and 30s because I think I was a little bit smarter in my 40s about tra- training and the things I did. And back in my 20s and 30s, I just raced everything. I didn't care so much about my time. I was just did way too many races. And I was having fun doing it, but I just tried to do too much. And eventually in my 40s, it kind of figured it out a little bit uh a little little a little too late but i figured it out but yeah from episode 276 coming to terms with being sidelined this is uh dimity recounting her ongoing injury and coming to grips with the end of her almost 25 years of running um, I suggest perhaps you grab a tissue or uh, maybe um, pull down the sleeve of your um, running shirt because you might have a few tears coming out. And um, this was suggested, this clip was suggested by um, Jana. And I want to read um, what Jana wrote in an email. She said, you must include number 276 on favorite show. This podcast where Dimity announces she is breaking up with running was so moving. Her strength and determination to find other outlets that make her and her body happier were breathtaking and inspiring. As runners, we all know the day will probably come when we need to say goodbye, or at the very least, see you later, to this sport that most of us live and breathe and love. Dimity reminds us 
in this podcast that when that day comes, we will all be okay. There will always be ways to stay involved, to move our bodies, and to find new passions. Always ask, what can I do? And uh, Jana says, I'm listening to this podcast again as I type, and it still moves me to tears. I'm so grateful that Dim was so honest and open and willing to share with the tribe. For me, this is a podcast I'll always go back to whenever I need a reminder that when things don't go according to my plans in running or just in life, you can always forge a new direction and it will be okay. She says, much love to you and Dimity and all my mother runner peeps. Thank you for keeping me moving forward. Here you go, Jana. Hi. So last Monday, the way we started this conversation, last Monday I went to go see um, this doctor who I really like here in um in Denver, he is a, a uh, like a you know spinal specialist, orthopedic doctor. You know, does not do surgery. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, I actually was referred to him back in 2010 when Run Like a Mother came out, mm-hmm. and uh, I was also not running then. My back hurt so much, and I'm like, yeah. oh my god, I'm releasing this book about running, and I'm going on this book <laughs> tour, and I can't even run. You know, and he's like Pilates. Yeah. You've got to try Pilates, and he was the one that got me started on Pilates, oh, uh-huh. and uh-huh. that worked for a long time, and continues to work. And uh, so anyway, so I go to him and. You know, and he looks at the MRI and, you know, I mean, he walks in and gives me a hug and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. Like, he's never hugged me before. And oh. he knows, he knows how much running means to me, you yeah. know, professionally and emotionally. And um, yeah. he just said, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to tell you no, but what I will tell you is, you know, you can do a couple 5Ks with your friends every once in a while. You know, I would approve that. And, you know, my heart just sank because that's not what I want to do. You know, I don't want to run a couple five K's every once in a while. He's like, um, and he's just like, listen, you, your body, you know, you have a very special situation. And I mean, you know, I mean, what I have in my back, I have, you know, degenerative disc disease, which I mean, that's the other thing that I've done forever is, or not forever, but I have spent so much time on YouTube and Dr. Google and, you know, looking for a magic potion of super bowl and exercise that's i haven't seen before or somebody's gonna it's gonna be exactly the one that i need right and um you know so what i have i have degenerative disc disease i have um uh, a pretty bad bulging disc like l4 l5 that is just um you know as flat as a piece of paper first of all and it's not supposed to be like that and it's kind of kicking into my nerve um my Mm -hmm. spinal column and then um i have this other thing called Foraminal stenosis, which is, um, there's like spinal stenosis, which is the narrowing of your spinal column. Um, and foraminal is like the nerves that shoot out the side of the spine. Mm-hmm. And so stenosis is when the columns narrow and the nerve and the nerves, the size of the nerves don't get smaller. And so what happens is you're trying to, you know, I don't know, yeah. what the, you know, shove something It'd be like, yeah, be like trying to put a cable wire through a, a something that's not going to fit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's just going to bite into it. It's going to wear away. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, we're pretty sure that's where the hamstring pain is coming from. So it's not my hamstring at all. It's my back. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, um, I just I just know I mean, I've been running for 22 years I mean, I was, I, you know, I, I wrote a blog post about it on Thursday. I started, I basically feel like I started my running career at the 96 New York City Marathon. And, yep. um, and then I got to end it um, at the 2016, um, you know, Twin Cities 10 miler, say, or Twin Cities half, or the Philadelphia half marathon. And that's 20 years. And then, um, yeah, I, and then, you know, four years of running on and off and at Colgate for crew. And that's, 
actually 24 years, not 22. So that's a quarter of a century. Like that, that doesn't suck. I can't be mad that I can't keep doing something I've been able to do for almost 25 years, you know, like for more than half your life. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, he's just, he, he has his eye on the quality of my life Mm -hmm. for what I hope is, you know, 90 years or more. Right. And I, you know, and I need to, um, open up my lens so that, um, widen my lens so that I can see that too. And instead of thinking, I can't run today, I can't run today, I can't run today. Hey, what do I want to do when I'm 60? What do I want to do when I'm 70? I want to be able to hike with my grandkids. Like I want to be like my mom. My mom takes them on hikes. She takes them, you know, she can go kayaking with them. She can go paddle boarding. You know, if I keep running, we all know the people, you know, we've all seen them in parks and stuff that can't give it up right? They mm-hmm. have a really bad yeah. gait, their arms a little oh, yeah. janky, whatever, you know, like it is, and I'm not criticizing them because I know the connection What's driving them. Yeah. is real. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I get that, you know, yeah. but I need to make the decision that I am not going to put myself in that position because that's yeah. not going to, that is unhealthier than exercising mm-hmm. period in my mind. Yeah. It- so, um, so yeah, so I just, so that's that. That's the physical part of it. The mental part of it too is, um, I just had to deliberately take control of the situation. Yes, you know, and that yes. is probably, you know, I gotta say it was. It's a relief. It's very, very hard. Don't get me wrong, but it's also a huge relief because I have been playing this what if game basically mm-hmm. since the Philadelphia, you know, for ten months now, and it's it, it could go on. For another two years, you know, mm-hmm. six more weeks of PTA and then I'll be there. Yep. This this dry needling session, then I'm going to be there. Um, yep. Oh, this chiropractor, this person really recommends this chiropractor. He's going to know exactly what's going on and then yep. he's going to fix me. And yep. it's it's not fixable. I mean, it, it is definitely manageable, yeah. but, you know, the damage is real, you know. And unless I want to go in and have, you know, I mean, you know, the doctor you know, bless his heart was like, you know, I, I can give you steroids. I can shoot, mm-hmm. you know, we can give you like an epidural kind of thing in your spine and shoot you up there. I can, mm. you know, we can talk about surgery. I mean, two PTs have mentioned surgery to me. I'm like, no, no, and no. Like I'm mm-hmm. not putting myself in a position for band-aids, which is the steroids or the, um, or the, uh, shooting up my spine mm-hmm. and surgery. I mean, all you have to do is Google back surgery to know that that is not a very reliable thing. Yeah. And I'm not, it's not worth it. It's not worth yeah. it. So, yeah. um, so, you know, saying, you know, pushing that instead of just being like, I'm going to be on a trail race this spring, I'm going to be able to follow the ultra plan, the train like a mother club. I'm going to be back to heart rate training. I want to really try the you know, half Iron Man plan in, in the train like I mean, I, you know, I drool over these plans. I, I yeah. put them together. I get to right. be in them, you know, right. and I right. want, I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, I wonder what that would feel like. You know, I wonder how that would feel that workout. And, you know, I get to um, still be a really big part of it and I still get to have adventures, but I just can't keep thinking um, tomorrow, tomorrow, this thing, this thing, this thing, because it's just going to, it's wearing me down. It is totally, oh, I mean, yeah. I'm being honest, it's just completely wearing me down. And I oh, can't, I have, um, 
I have no. I just can't do it to myself anymore. Yeah, yeah. I just think, I just think it's been toying with you. It's you know been been the cat with the with the mouse. You know, yeah. and it's just well, like yeah. I mean, I keep thinking of it as uh, you know moth, you know, drawn to like a streetlight. You know, mm-hmm. and they they fly in, they fly in, they fly in, hoping it, and then finally they're gonna just they're gonna <laughs> die. Fall <laughs> 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 to the pavement, exactly. dead. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, it's not that dramatic. You know, as far I'm not you know entertaining uh, really awful thoughts, but it is like I'm like, and I and this and I've played this game before, Sarah. That's the thing is, I mean, I know that you have come back from your ankle, and I know that you've come back from plantar fasciitis, but I have come back, and I've come oh. back, and I've come back, and I've come back, and. And I know how hard it is, but this has been the longest time I've been off, and this has been the most severe time I've been off without a um, a clear indication of what's wrong. You know, a stress fracture, yeah. put it in a boot, come back slowly, you're going to be okay. You know, mm-hmm. like, this is just this is just a big, like I described it once as, uh, you know, someone just poured coffee in, like, the motherboard of my spinal cord, and it's just not ever going to be the same again, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, I sometimes people ask me, you know, they'll ask how you're doing and and how your running's going and stuff like that. And I just the answer I came up with is, you know, the the female operating system is not designed to handle a mainframe as large as yours. Yeah, that, yeah. That you know, there's just I mean, you are sleek as a racehorse and so muscular and takes you know such good care to to even out muscle imbalances and to roll and to you know do all these things it's just you can't overcome the fact that you are almost six foot four yeah (laughs) yeah no i know i agree i completely agree and i you know and i and and but you know that's not to say like i'm gonna stop being an athlete and that's the biggest thing that i want to emphasize here because Mm -hmm. um you know the retreat is coming up the twin cities marathon is coming up and you know i am still in this 100 and 50%. 50%. I'm still an mm-hmm. AMR. I'm still in the TLAM club. I am still cheering for everybody. I mean, I have the chills right now because that is what I enjoy the most. I mean, I, oh, I, know. I yeah. always like having, having run, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I never, I mean, I enjoy the running. I enjoy trail running a ton, but it's not like, um, you know, I'm in it because I am a runner first. I am a, I am a connector first. I am a cheerleader first. I am mm-hmm. a creative person first like those those things matter to me more than the vehicle that gets me to them and 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 damn i gotta say the proof of that is what you what you said when you thought that's not my daughter i mean that is your daughter that is amelia putting her hand into the middle of the teammates and saying you know one two three warriors or whatever it is warriors warriors. yeah Yeah. so that you know that i'm like of course dimity's daughter is doing that because that's dimity yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying. I, sometimes it's hard to see when you're so close to it. But oh, yeah, got, you know, that, that big smack on the back. That's yeah. the dimity. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'll smack, I'll smack any of you. But yeah. yeah. And I, so, I mean, I have, you know, so I mean, so what I have done, you know, so, you know, we want people to, you know, I wanted to share this, first of all, just because it's important that I get it out there because I know that a lot of you guys struggle with injury and I'm not um, advocating that anybody, you know, stop running. Who's not ready to stop running. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there are a lot of solutions and I could keep running for sure. And I mean, I've, I put in an email that I sent to you guys, Sarah, the AMR team, Mm -hmm. you know, this is my, this is my decision for now. It may not be my final answer in a year. Things might change, but for now, for at least 
six, eight, 10 months, I am just saying running is not an option. I'm just not even letting myself go there. And it may be longer. It's probably going to be longer, but that's kind of the bite that I can take right now. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, But if, you know, so I, I don't want, I mean, follow my lead if that feels right to you. But if you are injured and you, especially if you have a situation like I do, that's like a mess of knots and nerves and discs and stuff, like it can be figured out. You just have to be ridiculously patient and ridiculously um, involved in your own self-care. Okay, and it wouldn't be a best of episode with a clip about found change. This comes from episode number 212, and it is found change, finding money while running. Had a variety of mother runners who find change, who spy and pick it up while they're running. And this was the um, final guest uh, conversation with Jennifer Martin, otherwise known as J-Mart. And um, she's talking about the greater meaning of found change and the quest for it. This all started because you, Sarah, mm-hmm. had started posting all this change. I was like, what is wrong with people in Portland? Do they just <laughs> empty their pockets cons- you know, constantly? I'm like, this, this something's wrong. Because I was like, this doesn't happen. Uh And so you inspired me and you said, well, if you start looking, you'll find it. Uh And so last year when I think we did the AMR goals in 2015, Uh I made it one of my goals that I was going to find a dollar. One dollar. One dollar. (laughs) So I didn't find my first penny until February of 2015. Mm -hmm. And you told me. Because I think you're the wise one of the, of this whole process. Like you're oh, like the, like the fine like money that. god. We need to come up with some name for you. You and Molly's good at it too. But um, I found a penny, and you said the floodgate will open, and it did. So I ended the year with a dollar ninety eight. Well, right. <laughs> Look at that. You totally surpassed your girl. You almost doubled it. I, I think know. you made more than I did. Found more than I did. Well, and then my family, my family's like, well, are you going to set a new goal? I'm like, no, I already achieved it. So no. But, you know, it, it, it turned into a whole kind of family thing where, you know, I remember coming back Easter and my husband was like, ha, ha, ha. And he was throwing change out the window saying, I hope you find it. And I'm like, you know, so. That's a cute idea. Did you go back and look for it? I never found it. Oh. You know, and I had another friend, Catherine, throw some um, money out in her cul-de-sac. I never found that either. So I was like, oh there must gosh. be other people out there. But I kind of feel like that was cheating a little bit. So. Oh, sure. Oh, you exactly. Because we established rules because, well, I have rules. I don't know about everybody else. But, you know, my rule is you have to be in the act of running to, to, for it to count. That's you, our rule too. Okay. We, although it, we do, we have some caveats to that. It can be anything athletic. So if you're riding a bike and you find money mm-hmm. okay. or also, um, I found a, I found, sometimes I've found money, um, at the place where we do bar when we run there and run home. Okay. And I, I found a penny in last week in the cubby where I put my shoes and mine goes, yeah, that counts. So okay. we ran there. I wonder you, if we drove there, if it would count. No, yeah. I wouldn't. I would definitely okay. would because I do. I I have a separate change container for money that my family and I find just out and about. Oh yes, because you find money everywhere, and I think it's you know I think of you every time. Like when I saw some in the you know airport stall, the pennies in front of the toilet, and I'm like, I know Sarah Bow and Shay would pick these up. I'm like, I'm not touching that. <laughs> and what, and what did you say? I sure would. Oh, I know. And then Lisa Peterson chimes in. She's like, I would just wash it. <laughs> oh no, Molly! Would you pick those up? Oh heck yeah! 
<laughs> oh my god no y'all that, that's where i draw the draw the line so well well can i tell you also um so you bring up my uh theory that i had which is if you run past a penny and don't pick it up then you're not gonna find any more change and oh. so but then it turns out that my best friend who is not a runner she lives in brooklyn and um she's very funny and yeah. um, somewhat offbeat and uh so she and her daughter were out visiting and my friend's name is Chalkley. And Chalkley um, and I were going somewhere and I found a dime. And she yells out, ooh, dimes are the turtles of change. And I'm like, um, okay. But I know exactly what she meant, which is that it must be that people think that turtles are harbingers of um, money coming into your life. And so she has a theory that, that when you mm. find a dime, it's mm. uh, more money coming into your life. So there is meaning. So this is good. There's, there's greater meaning. And so that, you know, (laughs) what I think is funny too, is that, you know, on this whole quest last year, I had decided, um, you know, kind of amping up my ultra game. And I had really kind of been thinking that, gosh, I really, you know, I have 70, I wanted to do 75 miles and I was thinking, you know, I really want to do a hundred, but I don't want to commit to it yet, but I'm thinking about it. So Mm -hmm. I changed my Twitter handle from Marathoning Mom to Boxer Runner 100. And that was my like subliminal goal to think, to keep it out there that I'd be ready one day to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I did that. And literally three days later, I was um, out running and I found, once again, me coming up empty, a quarter of a hundred dollar bill. Oh now, oh yeah, my goodness. a quarter. So, it, it is still yet to be decided if it's real. Everybody's like, is a serial number on it? Take it to the bank. I'm like, I don't care. It's a sign from the running gods. So <laughs> on that same run home, when I found this $100 bill, I was elated. Um, I also, there was my neighbor's uh, boxers had gotten out, and I do boxer rescue. And, and actually, by, no, by and boxer, a liner had gotten out. Yeah, I think yeah. you need to tell people you mean boxers like dogs, not like oh, yeah, boxers Rocky like Balboa. Dogs, yeah. And yeah, Muhammad Ali. The, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, boxers, they, they have a boxer and a Weimaraner, and they had gotten loose and they're notorious for running the neighborhood. And on my way home, I, uh, I gathered them up and got them safely back in their fence. So, so I felt like this was some type of karma that during the six mile run, I found the quarter of a hundred dollar bill and I rescued dogs. So I'm sure that it's a sign from the running gods. It was the stamp of approval on my new goal of seeking a hundred miles. I'd so, say so. Yeah. Those are very good omens. Yeah. Yeah. So why do like, you think you don't find more Jennifer? I don't know. I, so I'm pretty dry right now. My guess with the other ladies you've talked to today, I'm a total of 12 cents. Oh, For the year? Yeah. For the year? Yes. Mm, right. That is, yeah. I mean, this time last year I had reached my goal. But I think like Sarah says, is once you focus on it, you find it. All right. It seemed especially fitting to wrap up these two best of episodes with um, a snippet from episode 253, which was... Amariversary. AMR co-founders Serendimity celebrate seven years. And I have to say we are coming up on eight years um, uh, a little bit later this month. And um, this is us talking about our retreats and all the amazing places we've gotten to visit on our AMR travels. Take a listen. Shortly after the launch of Tales from Another Mother Runner, we held our first ever run plus refresh retreat, which was in lovely Little Rock, Arkansas. And um, do you want to take a quick detour at this moment to say that um, when I think of Little Rock, I think of all the amazing places that we got to visit because of of another mother runner. And that um, sometimes I wish we were based in Europe because then I'd be getting to go to, you know, Amsterdam and Paris and, 
you know, Stockholm. But you know, never say never, right? There's talk of an Australian retreat, you know, that's kind of floating. That's on the easel. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it's been really fun. I mean, unfortunately, sometimes you know, it, it gets. I know you you tend to um, be able to appreciate it more. Sometimes it gets a little lost on me just because I'm like. Strip mall after strip mall after strip mall. Of course, you know, I noticed the architecture. Mm-hmm. You do artists. Yes, you love the bricks. You love the, what was the, bir- the birds of prey. Had in um, Chicago about the flowers. Oh yeah, they um, they really like their. Was it impatience, or was nah, it uh, daffodil? I don't remember. No, no, but... some. That's so funny. Yeah. That... <laughs> like, yeah, they do, Sarah. These Chicagoans really love their XX brand of flower style of flower. Right. Uh, so funny. Yeah. 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 No, it's been really fun. I mean, I do remember Little Rock. People are like, why are you going to Little Rock? And I'm like, well, because it's in the center of the country and, you know, it, it would work out well for us. But um, uh. I mean, it was fun. It was definitely uh, an interesting um, area of the country to visit for sure. Oh my gosh. I just, cause I, I was just like, Oh, we're going little rock. And I got there. I mean, what an amazing, charming city. And like, I think about so many places that we visited like that. I mean, Spokane, you know, which is where we have our retreat now and Kansas city. I mean, I fell in love with Kansas city and that mall that has Moorish influence architecture. Didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's okay. okay. You know, the architecture, you know what I remember about that? Cause we were going on TV that morning for like four seconds yeah and i forgot all my makeup and i remember i had to go get to the max store and drop like 150 dollars on new makeup oh my gosh. um yeah oh my gosh. i remember getting down there and i forgot a belt too um yeah i mean i'm all i'm, I'm like i remember the you remember the, the things the you whole... forgot there's, there's some there's some larger meaning in there Timothy. Yes, exactly. i remember the architecture and the great meals and the you know Oh my gosh, that's so funny. And or, I mean, Twin Cities. I mean, when we went to the Twin Cities in 2011, and there was that funny nut log roll picture that from oh, yesterday. Oh, it's, it's a salted nut roll, not the nut log, Sarah. Yeah, salted, salted nut, nut roll. And, uh, but I, when we went to the Twin Cities for the first time, I just was like, why did no one ever just tell me you've got to go to the Twin Cities? I mean, it's such, I, that immediately I was like, okay, how can I come back here again? I need to visit the Twin Cities again. Yeah, the same, well, not, well, I knew how great the Twin Cities yeah, were. Yeah, you sure did. Oh. Oh, but you were keeping it from and uh so but then same thing with little rock when we were brought there by um the people who own capitol hotel and because they had us speak with um bart bart yasso was also speaking there <laughs> are you sure <laughs> everywhere yeah and uh and so but they brought us in and then you know we sold at little rock marathon and just i mean i just fell in love with that place and capitol hotel was so amazing and so anyway so yeah so it was our first retreat and um, I just, just we, such fun to get people together for, you know, days on end. So we, it wasn't just jammed into, you know, trying to make little piecemeal conversations in a two hour party. I mean, that was really to have the luxury of time and miles and meals with people. That was really so rewarding. Thanks again for joining me for this best of show. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you laughed. And um, I suspect maybe had a couple tears. Um, I so look forward to another hundred. Uh, maybe I should, I think maybe I'll take notes now about my favorite snippets. So then this task will be a little easier next time. Um, but thank you all so much for listening, for being a part of this amazing community of women runners. Um, you know, eight years ago when Dim and I started this, um, we didn't know what we were starting literally. And, um, we never could have dreamed it would be so wonderful. So thank you for being a part of, um, and taking us along on the ride. Many happy miles. Thank you.